Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego, and this is not the Voice of San Diego podcast as you normally hear it. I am not joined, as always, by Andrew Keats. This is instead San Diego 101, the podcast. We've got the first episode of the San Diego 101 podcast coming up right now. It's hosted by Maya Krishnan and Adriana Heldes, both of whom you've heard on this show before. Their new podcast is dedicated to explaining how the San Diego region works using unique stories and awesome sounds. Every episode is made to teach you a little bit more about how San Diego is governed and all the systems that make it go. Here's my thing. I believe that the complexity of how local governments work, civic affairs function, is itself a form of elitism. It makes it very hard to participate in local affairs unless you spend 15 years like I did, fully immersed in it as a professional. So even if you're not an expert at local government, though, I think you're going to learn something with these shows, and I know you're going to enjoy it. And if you've got normal friends out there that you've been trying to teach local affairs stuff to, then this is for them, absolutely. I'll talk to you again at the end of the show. Here is San Diego 101. San Diego 101. Right, like my parents either voted or did not vote for something in 2000. I was was 12 years old. His son almost did life in prison 14 years later. That's like when you think of like that is crazy. Like that law had never been used. 14 years later, they find this law in the bottom of a rundown California proposition. And his now his son is looking at 56 years of life in prison. From Voice of San Diego, I'm Maya Shri Krishnan. And I'm Adriana Hildes. This is San Diego 101, your role in local government. So we're going to hit you with two stories about two people who had to figure out local government after they realized how much impact it had on their lives. Because they wanted to make big changes for their neighborhoods, their communities, and ultimately for all of San Diego but they went about it in totally different ways. One became a political activist after spending months in jail for a crime he didn't commit. He's from a historically black part of San Diego. The other one is one of the youngest city council members ever in San Diego, who got the job before he ever went to city hall. He's from a largely Latino part of the city. Let's start with Aaron Harvey. He's a guy who felt the full wrath of local government when he was suddenly facing life in prison. 
Aaron had never voted before, or even thought about voting or local government. But all of a sudden, the decisions of local officials turned his life upside down. I'm going to tell you that story right after the break. So Adriana, let me tell you about Aaron Harvey. He's from Southeast San Diego. It's one of the most diverse parts of the city, and his family has lived there for a really long time. My family has been in the community of Lincoln Park since the 50s, right? Um, my grandmother, grandfather had like nine kids. Each one of those kids had like nine kids, right? So the Harveys are like, we're everywhere. I think I feel like I meet a new cousin every month or something like that. And Aaron's now a pretty prominent activist. He just graduated from UC Berkeley, and, like, people know who he is. There have been stories about him in the news. Lamont Computer shares the story of the Harvey brothers and their journey towards justice. Against the Harvey brothers and 31 others. He's arrested Aaron Harvey outside Las Vegas. I thought I was going to be released. Must be a mix-up. Got a common name. There was no mix-up. And when he's back in his old neighborhood, everyone knows he's the guy who signs people up to vote and can explain how local government works. He's the one who starts up political conversations. People even joke around calling him Malcolm. Malcolm, referring to Malcolm X? Yes. Okay, just making sure. (laughs) When I come around the neighborhood on the blocks and stuff, you know, I get all the jokes. I hear come Malcolm. And I love it, right? His story starts in 2014. When I went to jail, (laughs) uh... I think, well, not I think, I know that, like, policies, laws have been impacting me, like, my whole entire life, whether it had been in a positive or a negative way, um, but didn't necessarily understand or even care, to be honest, about the levers that were pulled to that these things were actually affecting me. Um, in 2014, uh, me and 32 other individuals were indicted and arrested for crimes that um, we did not commit. I think I spent about eight months in, yeah, about eight months in county jail looking at 56 years to life on a $1.1 million bail, um, all based off of a penal code that was voted in in the year 2000, I believe, 2000, 2001, Prop 21. And once I realized um, in jail that I would could potentially lose the rest of my life um, behind bars uh, based off of a ballot initiative that the voters of California um, either voted in or did not vote could you know have impacts of like re- literally ruining my life and the lives of many others. Um, Prop 21, which he just mentioned, is Proposition 21 from the 2000 election. It's one of those things that's on the ballot that all voters in the state get to vote on. Propositions are for the whole state. Measures, which you'll also see on the ballot, are for local stuff. This statewide proposition asked Californians if they wanted to change several things about the criminal justice system. Most of these changes were about young people and making them eligible to be treated as adults in some criminal cases. But it also made changes to how people who are classified as gang members are treated in the criminal justice system. This is the part that ended up getting used against Aaron and a few dozen other people in Southeast San Diego, including a rapper called Tiny Dew. ...against local rapper Brandon Duncan, also known as Tiny Dew. Just two hours ago, a judge dismissed... 
Some San Diegans might be familiar with this case. It made pretty big news at the time. Conspiracy charges under a law that makes it illegal for known gang members to profit from gang crimes. The district attorney arrested Aaron and these other men because her office thought they were all associated with a gang, not because they had proven that they had committed any crime. That's how he ended up in jail. Is it illegal to be in a gang in the state of California? It's not illegal to be in a gang, but if you are documented as a gang member, it can mean a lot of things for you. If you are found to have committed another crime, you could have years added on to your sentence. And in this particular case, the district attorney was using a really obscure penal code that said that someone who's documented as a gang member could be held accountable for a crime committed by someone else who's also documented in that gang um, because they supposedly could have benefited from the crime, even if they had no knowledge of it. What would they use to sort of verify that some people were in a gang or not? Like what 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 indicators gave that away? Well, this really gets to the root of Aaron's case because Aaron said he was never in the gang that they were accusing him of being in. Um, they used Facebook photos of him with other alleged gang members to put him in a state database of gang members and that's what they use to eventually you know pick him up for for this crime mm, got it life upside down so sitting in jail um i would tell my celly that if i got the opportunity um to be released that i would you know go off to school law school and be uh pretty much like a change agent in my community um and just really educate people on the things that are impacting us on a daily basis that we don't even know that has the potential of ruining your life and you don't even have to do anything but just be alive um so and then i just made it my mission when i got out um enrolled in city college um studied political science um joined an organization called pillars of the community which is located in southeast san diego um and we just pretty much started like a door knocking campaign of just educating individuals in Southeast on policies, laws, um, and operations of uh, SDPD, the DAs, and things like that. So I think when a lot of people think about getting involved in local government or being a change agent, they think they have to run for office or work in the government or be in charge of something important or be a part of some confusing agency with a very specific power, which there are plenty of in San Diego. But that's not how Aaron did it. He told me about this really big moment for Southeast San Diego and for his activism that started with a video of a San Diego City Council meeting. For six months, 28 homicides here in San Diego. Black on black crime is an issue and that was never addressed. That's why when someone says, do you, you know, do you think there's racial profiling? Yeah, because blacks are shooting blacks. So who did they stop? They're not going to stop a white male. A They're not going to stop good example of how you can kind of like galvanize folks around things is when uh, the ex-city council member made those comments of uh, racial profiling. I pretty much giving police green lights <laughs> to racially profilers. So who do they go and look for? They're going to look for African-Americans who look like the person that was, was uh, the shooter. And so that's why, so if we can address the black-on-black -black crime in our community, I think we would be better off than saying, you know, well, there's racial... Yeah, there is, because they're stopping blacks who shoot blacks. 
The video was of the city council member who represented his district at the time, Myrtle Cole. She was talking about racial profiling and why police stop black men more than other races. And I played that video over and over and over and over, just in the community, just walking up to people. Like, this is the person who is representing you, and this is what this person is saying. About a year and a half ago, a black man went into a barber shop, shot the barber, shot the barber. He was like, man, look at this video. Who, who is that? That's a city council member. What's a city council member? And it just went from there, right? Well, how we get her out of this? She don't need to be there. Actually, are you asked her to vote? Why would I do that? Because because you're not is why she's in there, right? Well, how I register to vote? Psh, man, I got this app, right? <laughs> or actually, I got this backpack with all these voter uh, registration forms, you know, and it would just happen so organically, right? And from that turned into like cookouts to just... Hey, man, so you mean to tell me, like, can't, like what do I got to do to register people to vote? Like, actually, I can just give you, like, a short, like, 15, 20-minute like, lesson, like, right here, right now, and give you, like, 50 of them and send you on your way. And we just was doing that. Or just, like, post this on Instagram or just, like, we was it was it was just, like, really, like, an organic, grassroots kind of movement that just happened with individuals that you would never expect it to happen. I have never registered so many people to vote. Right? Just like, but it had to have a right now effect. You know, what happened in the past, what can potentially happen in the future, means nothing to people who are hungry now. So there was a lot of pushback um, after she made those comments. And Aaron uh, included was one of many people who basically tried to get her out of office. And it worked. She ended up losing her re-election uh, to someone who had quit her office after the incident. And that person is? City Council Member Monica Montgomery Stepp. Wow. I get these calls from people and they're like, hey, I have this mail ballot, but I don't know who this judge is. Like, we can vote for judges. And I'm like, yes, like, <laughs> yes, like we can, you know, and I'm like having like sit down in like living rooms or like we outside on the block and there's like Hennessy being passed around, but people have mail ballots like, you know, judges and, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about county board of supervisors and the DAs and all these like, you know, people are even now talking to me about like the school board. And then they even ask me sometimes, like, is that person elected official? You know, I'm like, nah, that's appointed. Like, <laughs> you know, and just these small little things. Um, and I see people, I don't know, I just see it. Things are like happening. And I don't know what is going to come out of it, but just, I don't know, like this, the, the, the looks in people's faces is no longer just despair, but you kind of see those like glimmers of hope every so often. You know, like, that's 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 kind of like what I live for.
Aaron estimates he's registered about 500 people to vote. And he says the group he works with, Pillars of the Community, has registered thousands more to get them started in understanding and being a part of local government. Next up, getting involved in local government by getting elected, right after the break. All right, Maya. All right, Adriana. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about David Alvarez, one of the youngest people to ever be on the San Diego City Council. I am from the community of Barrio Logan, Logan Heights. I grew up there. I'm raising my kids, my family there. A big part of why he started thinking about local government and what ignited his political fire was his neighborhood, Barrio Logan. Kind of born and raised and stayed in San Diego. Growing up there, he remembers the parties his families used to throw. And since his neighborhood is surrounded by big roads and freeways, there was always a whooshing sound of cars and trucks. He remembers how those roads, which were made by local government, broke that neighborhood apart. And his family home was in a pretty dangerous spot environmentally. I lived on a very industrial block where there was two homes, the front door neighbor and we lived in the back house. But it was the house on the corner, master plating us, and then another industrial use next to us. And master plating's exhaust vent was literally uh, facing our yard, which we live in the back, but it was our front yard. So this is where David is coming from with this industrial business next door, others around it in the area, and the effects of all those cars. David developed asthma as a kid, which was pretty common for the neighborhood. But it wasn't until he was around kids from other neighborhoods that things really started to click for him, that this wasn't okay. One incident that... Uh, really helped shape my activism, if you will, was at the age of 14 or, f- or 15. I he was in the summer school program through UCSD, a science program. And on one of the days, uh, it was a field trip day, we came down, uh, left La Jolla and came out to the real world. And we ended up in Barrio Logan. And we ended up on my street. We actually ended up on my block in front of where I lived. And uh, we had an organizer, Maria, she jumped onto the bus and started to talk about some of the impacts to families and kids and respiratory issues, all the things that I'd been living with. And she comes on the bus and she talks about, you know, how challenging it is and why we should be concerned about the environment and why we should not be polluting where people live. And at some point towards the end of her talk, uh, there's a, another young man from another school who's not from Logan Heights. And he made the comment of, like, why would anybody want to live here if it's that bad? I felt really small. I felt like, wow, like, this is what people think of us that live here. It was a really big moment for me because um, I realized that it, what I was living with was not okay. and that there were other people who thought it was okay because it was a choice, but it wasn't a choice for us. So with this experience of someone else coming to his neighborhood, questioning why anyone would live the way that he lives and essentially putting his home down, that's when he kind of gets activated. 
David started making things happen on his own, like community cleanups, graffiti paintouts, and neighborhood block parties, and to get people energized and start to care about where they live, get them involved. Then in 2009, the city council seat for that area opens up. I always kind of felt like I wanted to serve in some way. I never had made the jump to saying I could serve in an elected capacity. So what I decided to do is I, in my in my organizer mode, brought together people who I respected and who I had met over the years, and I had literally a. Uh, my entire living room with like I don't know it was almost probably thirty chairs of people who were there, and uh, people who I'd worked for, worked with, community people. So we had、um, my walls full of butcher paper with, okay, who can help with like fundraising and who can help with just writing names. Okay, what can you help with? What can you do if if you believe that you can be part of this? So yeah, we came away. I had already basically made up my mind. I would have changed my mind if I would have. Heard things like it's probably not the right thing, or you know, but it, I received nothing but support, and so we. So, how did the campaign go? Well, he didn't raise a lot of money, <laughs> which you know is a really important part of running for office. So I remember I raised just over,、uh, I think it was just over fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand dollars, which like people would laugh at now、um, for city city council races, but、um, it ended up being like the highest amount. Um, from all the others, and so I, I think it was like, a, oh, like okay, what's going on with this race? It's kind of weird because, you know, the incumbent's brother is running, and he should be doing much better, and that's what the race meant, ended up becoming defined as the basically quasi the incumbent running against me. But he pulls it off. He said he won because he centered it around his community and won their support. In 2010, he gets sworn in as a city council member, one of the youngest ever. He was just thirty years old. Wow. He also went on to run for mayor in 2014 after former mayor Bob Filner resigned in disgrace. Which it's on its own is a crazy story. If you haven't heard of it, definitely Google it for some crazy San Diego political history. That'll make you want to get involved in local elections. <laughs> yeah. It was a special election, but David did not do well. He ended up losing to Kevin Faulkner, who, as we are recording this podcast, is running for governor of California. But David served two full terms on the San Diego City Council, representing his community. He said he loved every day in office. What do you think is one of the I guess the most difficult things to understand about local government. One of the most difficult things is that there's a lot of things happening, and so to to try and keep on top of it all is really challenging. That's one of the things with local government. Two things happen actually re- really quickly, but they happen behind the scenes, and. That's why public hearings are so important, and testimony is so important, and letter writing is so important, and calls are so important because we see something in the agenda, but by the time it's on the agenda, you know, there it's basically for the most part been been cooked up, and so if you didn't get in front of it,、uh, it's a pretty good chance you won't be able to create change. 
because there's always something, whether the city attorney says a change can't happen because he has to go back and we got to move now, or there's a deadline, or there's a funding issue or something that just requires things to happen now. And so it's hard for the those of us that don't read the agendas on a daily basis to keep track and understand everything going on. That's probably the hardest part, that if we had better access to information ahead of time, we as a community members and as leaders could probably help create better change. I think looking back at Aaron's story and David's story and what they're talking about, which is a normal person's role in government, there are a few things I think they're both talking about that feel pretty important. Definitely. For one, your vote really does matter. I think it's really easy to feel like it doesn't. Oftentimes it feels like it's just you and your one vote in a mass of millions of votes, but it actually does. And I think Aaron and how that proposition, Prop 21, um, affected his life is such a super clear example of that. You can have an impact on things that matter to the whole state. And also, if you don't vote, those things can have an impact on you. And you have an even bigger impact when it comes to local measures and local leaders, like Aaron's story and him working with his community to get Myrtle Cole, the city council member, out of office. It took time and effort, but they made a change. So when elections come around, it's up to you to spend that extra amount of time figuring out what and who you're voting for, even if it's just chatting with your neighbors over a bottle and mail-in ballots. Another big thing they both talked about was access. David said that by the time the city council meets, they've already decided on a lot of the things that they've been talking about for a while. So the first thing to think about is what you care about. Is it schools, police? Is it the quality of life in your neighborhood? Find something that you're passionate about and learn more about it. One way that you can do that is by following local news organizations and keeping tabs of what's happening in your community. And remember, council members and local leaders work for you. So you can email them and get in contact with them to let them know how you feel about certain things. They're there to serve and represent you. And the last thing is that you don't have to run for office to make a difference. David did, which is rare. But even now, as someone who doesn't work in a government office, he's still doing stuff and being involved. He is now using his knowledge and resources of City Hall um, to try to make Barrio Logan better and to help people improve it, too. And Aaron, of course, was never elected, but he was just trying to be a little spark. He'd zap people into paying attention to a few things and sort of woke them up to this whole other world that really is supposed to be working for us, but we don't talk about it a lot. Local government. Thanks for listening to The Voice of San Diego's first episode of the San Diego 101 podcast. We will be dropping episodes in this feed every two weeks. Got it? Every two weeks. So you can get the stories here without doing anything else. You are welcome for that. San Diego 101 does have its own feed, though, too. There's a link in the show notes or just search San Diego 101 wherever you listen to podcasts. It's going to be a really good season of stories coming at you. I'm Scott Lewis. We'll talk to you soon.